0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, it was, St. John tells us, at Cana, at a wedding that Jesus accomplished His first sign, turning the water into wine. And His disciples saw it, and they believed in Him. Now, there is a difference between a sign and a miracle. Every sign is a miracle, but the sign is given for the disciples and for us, so that we would believe Jesus, that we would trust Him, and that we would follow Him. Now, as we remember this text, this event in Cana, there are a lot of things for us to recall. We remember, first of all, that Jesus loves weddings. There's a beautiful line in the address that's at the beginning of the rite of holy matrimony that says, Our Lord Jesus blessed and honored marriage with His presence and first miracle at Cana in Galilee. That's, that's fantastic. That Jesus was there blessing His estate of marriage. We also remember, and we learn from this text, what Jesus thinks about wine. That's handy. I always think it's astonishing that that John goes back and notes not just that Jesus turned the water into wine, but that he turned the water into really good wine. That's the conversation that happens between the the head steward who doesn't even know where all this wine came from and the bridegroom. And he says, you did it all in the wrong way. We also hear in this text the last words of Mary, the last words recorded for us in the Scriptures. We see Mary, the mother of Jesus, a number of times later, even at the foot of Jesus when He's dying on the cross and at the tomb, but she doesn't say anything. These are, these are the last words that we, that we hear come across her lips, and the words are this, whatever He says, do it. As if the Holy Spirit was anticipating that later in the church there would be those who would give too much to Mary would want to exalt her beyond her office as the mother of God and make her into a co-redeemer or something like this, that Mary would receive our prayers and would bless us. No, uh, here Mary points us to Christ. Whatever He says, do it. But I think the most helpful thing for us to meditate on this morning is to simply roll around this question. How is it that this man, Jesus, can turn water into wine that is not normal but jesus is no normal man in fact jesus is god and man united eternally remember how we said and say this in the catechism and confess it together i believe that jesus christ true god begotten of the father from eternity and also true man born of the virgin mary is my lord and this wonderful truth we recognize as the incarnation of Jesus, that he is in one person, two natures united. This great mystery of, of Christianity, the incarnation. Now, it is especially true that at Christmas time, we remember that Jesus is a man. In fact, he's a baby, he's born. He's born in. Not, not just born, he's born in humble circumstances. He's laid in a manger. He's he's taken to Egypt in order to save his life. And that's something for us to remember, that he needed saving. He, He had to be brought somewhere else so that he wouldn't be killed. Jesus wasn't like Superman, that the bullets would bounce off of his chest. If the swords of the Roman soldiers would have reached him as a baby in Bethlehem, he would have died there. He has flesh and blood. He is immortal. He can He can uh, breathe his last. That's, in fact, the point. So that Christmas reminds us of the humanity of Jesus. And then we come along into Epiphany and especially remember his divinity. For example, uh, last week when we had the Epiphany service, we heard about the wise men who came and found the baby in the lap of his mother Mary, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Or in the baptism of Jesus, when God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Or when Jesus, the boy, was in the temple, and He said, didn't you know I must be about my Father's business? Next week we have the transfiguration, where through the flesh of Jesus, His divinity will radiate with glory. It shows us that He is true God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. And that is also the case here today, when Jesus is turning the water into wine. How can he do this? Because he's God. He invented water. He invented grapes. He invented wine. Jesus is the one who spoke and light, dark, day and night, stars and planets, land and sea, all existed. Through him and in him are all things. He is the creator and he shows it at Cana in Galilee. I heard someone say regarding the miracles of the Bible, and, and for some people to believe the miracles of the Scriptures is a difficulty. It's a stumbling block. They come across the texts that describe these miracles and they don't want to um, spiritualize them or make them mean something different instead of reading them as miracles. And I heard someone's response to that was this. That once you get past the first page of the Bible, the rest is pretty easy. That I mean, is true. And once we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, that, that everything else is no problem. It's helpful for us to consider that. That all the miracles in the Scripture, from the, from the greatest one that we have in the Gospel, the resurrection of Jesus on the third day, that all of these, in fact, in one way or another, pale at the glory of the power of God manifest in creation So there was no light and there was no dark, and Jesus spoke, and there was. There was no land or no sea, and Jesus spoke, and there was. There was no life, and Jesus spoke, and there was. There was no wine, Jesus spoke, and there was. So this sign confirms for us this great truth. That Jesus is God now I've noticed something, and I think this is true in talking with you guys as well that you have the same tendency, but i 'll at least speak for myself that I have a tendency when meditating on this mystery that Jesus is both God and man, that one or the other kind of gets emphasized in my own mind so so it 's difficult to think of Jesus being God and man. It's almost like we consider at one time, well, now I know that Jesus is God, strong, powerful, the creator and sustainer of all things, that he's utterly exceptional and unique, and then we consider him at another moment according to his humanity and even his humility, that he's weak and he's suffering and he's, and he's normal, and it's difficult to, to keep the two natures of Christ united in our own mind. Alfred Edersheim, this old theologian that I like to read, he pointed out that the Gospels are always fighting against this tendency to sort of separate the two natures of Christ. And, the, and one of the ways that they do that is that they always, or almost always, uh, pair the two in the conversations of the miracles of Jesus. That, that you'll have a, a text that highlights the divinity of Christ, but right next to it will be a text or a mention of something that highlights His humanity, or vice versa. So, for example, when Jesus calms the water you remember that moments before he was asleep. So you see his divinity and his humanity all bound up together. Or immediately after the transfiguration of Jesus, he says to his disciples, now it's time that I would suffer. Now keep, that, see, keep your eye out for that as you meditate on the Gospels and as you read through the Scriptures, that his divine nature and his human nature are always paired with one another. And we see it in the text today in the sign and miracle at Cana, is that this miracle is, comes right after a conversation between Jesus and his mom, Mary. So that just as clearly as the miracle of turning water to wine is a testimony to his divinity, having a mother is certainly testimony to his humanity. Jesus is God and man. Bound up to one another in this singular person. Okay, Pastor, we got it, but why is it important? That's the question that we want to push on today. Why is it necessary? My two favorite pages in the Catechism are the pages that have these two questions. Why was it necessary for our Savior to be true man, and why was it necessary for our Savior to be true God? We should be able to answer those questions, and we'll go through the answers that the catechism gives, they're really quite beautiful. First, the question, why was it necessary for Jesus to be true man? Two reasons. First, so that he could take our place under God's law. It's what we call his active obedience, that he perfectly keeps all of God's commandment. He perfectly loves his neighbor. He perfectly honors his father and his mother. He is perfectly chaste and generous and content he perfectly loves the lord his god with all of his heart soul mind and strength this is the first reason and the second reason it was necessary for jesus to be true man is so that he could suffer and die his passive obedience jesus needed a body to sacrifice he needed blood to spill he needed this flesh and blood so that there would be something for the soldiers to whip and to nail to the cross, and to put in the grave, and then to rise again to the Father's right hand. Jesus needed a body and blood so that he could feed them to you for the forgiveness of your sins. So why was it necessary for Jesus to be true man? So that he could fulfill God's law, and so that he could suffer and die. And then, the sister question, why was it necessary for Jesus to be true God? This also has two answers. First, so that His fulfilling of the law would be a sufficient ransom for all people. You remember that the perfection of Jesus, if He was only a man and not God, would only benefit Himself. He might be saved, but what about the rest of us? But as God, as the Son of God, as the divine man, His righteousness is sufficient to cover all people. 1 Peter 1 says this, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without spot or blemish. And second, the second answer, why was it necessary for Jesus to be true God? It's so that he might overcome death and the devil for us. Hebrews 2.14 is the best here. This is, I think, my favorite text. Since the children share in flesh and, um, and blood, he himself partook of the same things so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus was a man so that he could die, but he was God so that he could live again for you, to save you to rescue you, to overcome your death, to take the fear of death out of the hands of the devil. He is God and man, all of it for you. For us men and for our salvation He came down from heaven so that He might save us and be our Redeemer and our friend. So, dear saints, when Jesus is turning the water into wine he is doing it as a sign for you he's indicating that he is no ordinary man but that he is god in the flesh and this turning water into wine is only the beginning because he has better plans bigger plans for you to turn for you sin into righteousness by the forgiveness of all of your sins to turn for you death into life by His Word that gives us faith and hope, to turn for you your grave into a bed where you rest peacefully awaiting the resurrection, (laughs) to turn for you darkness into life, light, to turn unbelief into faith, to turn dread into courage, to turn fear into, into confidence and comfort. Jesus turning the water into wine is only the beginning. Because this one is God in your flesh, in your place, to give to you a joy that knows no end. So we rejoice. We rejoice that Jesus turned water into wine. We won't, at least we have not yet tasted this wine. We have to wait until the resurrection for that but we have tasted the joy of his kingdom, the joy of the forgiveness of sins, the confidence of his love for us. The one who says your sins are forgiven is God in your flesh, and he can do it. We beheld his sign, and we believed in him. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.